0: I invite you to turn with me into Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Uh, Anybody who spent any time in Sunday school will be familiar with this wonderful passage. So very rich and speaks to us in our situation, even here in Biloxi in the year 2013. Though as we read it, it may seem quite strange to us. We're in Babylon. And uh, Babylon has uh, conquered Jerusalem. The nation of Judah has brought uh, many of the leading uh, Israelites into Babylon for reprogramming, if you will, retraining in the ways of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans who were the wise men uh, of of the, the empire of Babylon. They're led by this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a very powerful king with a very powerful empire, as we learned last week in the dream that he had that testified to the fact that he, his empire was greater than even Rome or Greece in its heyday, in their heyday. We pick up the reading in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the god's. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way then they then the king promoted Shadrach Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word this morning well we've been transported to Babylon, and in the Bible uh, we encounter Babylon of course in these passages in Daniel and those passages, those books of the Bible that refer to this era when, uh, the, the, when Babylon was in power. Uh, but the Bible also refers to Babylon in a metaphorical sense in the book of Revelation. It becomes a symbol of, of human authority allied against the kingdom of God. Babylon the great, uh, Babylon the harlot, is called in the book of Revelation. And it will be defeated by God's kingdom, and the rider on the white horse, Jesus Christ, uh, ultimately. And we can read about that in uh, the book of Revelation. We find Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego living in Babylon. And we are hoping, as we look at this passage, to draw strength for living in our own day. And indeed, as we look at the news and We just look out around us at the state of of our country and the place where we live. We find that our nation is very much like Babylon. Living here is like living in Babylon. Daniel and his friends seem to negotiate that. Living faithfully for God in the midst of a hostile environment babylon how can we live for christ in the hostile environment the increasingly hostile environment in which we live we can learn some things from shadrach meshach and abednego today and i've got four things and i've given you an outline if you have that in front of you Uh, i'm not particularly happy about some of these points Uh, the point I'm not I'm happy about the point I'm not happy about how I've expressed it but hopefully you'll understand what I'm saying the first thing that we need to understand as we approach this passage is that idolatry is still a temptation just like it was in Babylon in these days that we're reading about here in chapter 3 they were faced with this uh, this command to bow down and worship this golden image we find that Nebuchadnezzar has set up a, a spectacular image. That image was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and was made of gold. That's a picture of the glory of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And he required everyone to bow down and worship that image when they heard music playing. And if they didn't bow down, they would face execution by being thrown into a furnace. Verse 7 tells us that as soon as that music played, they knew Nebuchadnezzar meant business, and so they all went along with it. They all bowed the knee to this golden image. All except, as we find out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, thankfully, we do not have someone like Nebuchadnezzar with whom we have to contend in our day and time. No one is seeking to make us physically bow down and worship a golden idol. Of course, there are many places in the world where people do physically bow down to idols, though usually it's a a voluntary thing. Now, even though our experience does not include uh, the experience these people were having in, in Daniel 3, being forced to bow down to an image, it does not mean that we cannot identify with what is going on here in this passage. Idolatry is still a temptation for us. There's a well-known sermon by a Puritan named David Clarkson entitled, Soul Idolatry Excludes Men Out of Heaven. And uh, if you would like to read that sermon, it's available on the Internet. If you search for it, uh, it pops up, and there are several different uh, websites that have it in full available for people to read, and it's well worth your time. It's 37 pages long, so you know it might take you a little while. But uh, you're mining for gold there, and you won't be disappointed. But in that sermon, he argues that there is a twofold worship due only to God. First, there's the external, which consists in acts and gestures of the body. When a man bows to or prostrates himself before a thing, this is the worship of the body. And when these gestures of bowing, prostration are used, not out of a civil but a religious respect, with an intention to testify divine honor, then it is worship due only to God. So when you bow the knee uh, to uh, something and you are, you are testifying to its divinity, you know, we do certain things physically to worship. You know, first of all, we get to church. Then we stand and we sing, and sometimes we kneel to pray. Uh, these are uh, physical ways that we worship God. So there's the external, but there's also the internal, which consists in the acts of the soul and actions answerable thereto, he says. When the mind is most taken up with an object, and the heart and affections most set upon it, this is soul worship, and this is due only to God. For he being the chief good and the chief end of intelligent creatures, it is his due, proper to him alone, to be most minded and most loved, it is the honor due only to the Lord to have the first, the highest place, both in our minds and hearts and endeavors. Well, yeah, that's evident. God is a great God. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our love. He should have the highest place not only in our physical lives, but in our spiritual lives, especially in our souls. He goes on to worship goes on to argue that because there are these two types of worship, due to God there are also two types of idolatry first of all there's open outward idolatry when men out of a religious respect bow to or prostrate themselves before anything besides the true God what's going on here in Babylon they're physically bowing down to an image to an idol but there's also number two and that's the one that we're chiefly concerned with there's secret or soul idolatry When the mind is set on anything more than God, when anything is more valued than God, more desired than God, more sought than God, more loved than God, then is that soul worship which is due only to God. Now we may not be tempted to physically bow down to an idol, but we certainly are tempted to soul idolatry. These inward idols are often called idols of the heart. In fact, Calvin goes so far as to say, John Calvin that is, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We're always producing idols. Every one of us, he says, even from his mother's womb, is an expert in inventing idols. Things that we love appreciate value over God. Now, on one side of that sheet with my sermon outline, I've given you a quote from Tim Keller, who's written a book about this very thing called Counterfeit Gods, well worth your time to read. He says, What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources, on it without a second thought. It can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it is really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure." Now you notice that many of those things that he's listed off there are not bad things, they're rather good things. They are things that we would consider gifts from God. But they become idols when these good things become ultimate things, when they become more important to us than God. Then that is when we have violated the first commandment and put another God before the one true and living God. Clarkson in his sermon goes on to say, Pleasures and riches and honors are the carnal man's trinity. These are the three great idols of worldly men to which they prostrate their souls. Pleasures, riches, and honors. So we can identify with Daniel 3. Our culture may not be physically forcing us to bow down to some golden idol, but it certainly and constantly promotes idols of the heart. And it, the, the trifecta, the trinity of carnal men, pleasures, riches, and honor. Look at our culture that we live in. Pleasures. All our focus is on uh, sexual pleasure. And it's become so, such a, a part of our culture and the focus of our culture. Uh, drugs is a big part of our culture. Physical pleasures. Uh, riches. We're so materialistic. you got to have this, you got to have that in order for your life to have meaning, in, in order for you to get along. You know, we, we uh, have to have the latest cell phone. I mean, the commercials uh, often uh, play on that fact that if you've got an old phone, then you should be ashamed of it, and you should hide it from people, and you should get the latest one, or the latest computer, or the better car. It's a constant stream of telling us You need this. You need this for your life to have meaning. And then, of course, honor. Everybody's out to get honor. We call it fame. People are doing stupid stuff and posting it on YouTube just so they'll be known in the world. We worship fame and we'll do anything to get it. These idols are promoted in our culture. And when you mix that with our own hearts, uh, which you know, our own sinful fleshly appetites, that we want these things, we think these things, we buy into the lie that these things will fulfill us, well, then we, ha- we are in real danger. Very much so. Soul idolatry is just as dangerous, if not more, than open, open outward idolatry. Clarkson says, Secret idolaters shall have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Soul idolatry will exclude men out of heaven as well as open idolatry. He who serves his lusts is, an, is as incapable of entering heaven as he who worships idols of wood or stone. So how can we discern our own idols? Uh, and, and we all have them. And not one of us is excluded from this. We all, as Calvin said, have little idol factories in our hearts. And we set our hearts on certain things above God. Well, I've given you 13 questions that Clarkson promotes. You can do a search on the Internet. Uh, One one thing that you can search is uh, something called X-Ray Questions by David Paulison, which comes from a book he wrote. He's got more than 13 questions. He's got a whole raft of questions, 30-something pages of questions uh, and explanations that you can look at. Uh, x-ray questions. So if you want to search for that, you can find it. But there are, these are searching questions that help us identify what our functional idols are. And I give them to you as a resource. But just think about these questions briefly as we as we read through them. What do you most highly value? What do you think about by default? What are your daydreams and fantasies? You know, when you're not really doing anything or you're not really thinking about anything, maybe when you're lying in bed and you're still awake where does your mind go what do you dwell on what do you delight to think about it's probably a, an idol of the heart what is your highest goal to what or whom are you most committed who or what do you love the most who or what do you trust or depend upon the most who or what do you fear the most who or what do you hope in and hope for most who or what do you desire the most or what desire makes you most angry or makes you despair when it is not satisfied? Now, what really ticks you off? And usually it's when something or someone is blocking an idol of the heart that you can't get to. Who or what do you most delight in, your greatest joy and treasure? Who or what captures your greatest zeal? To whom or for what are you most thankful for whom or what great purpose for whom or what great purpose do you work one simple test that i've heard of to identify your functional idols is to simply look at your checkbook and your calendar where do you spend your money and where do you spend your time and that will tell you a lot about what is most important to you so we have this constant temptation as you read these things i mean probably you're sitting there going wow I mean, all, I can answer something besides God to all these questions. Because the answer to these, all, all these questions that I've given you should be God. Should be the true and the living God. But they're probably not. Myself included. It's constant temptation for us not to bow to an image of gold but simply to worship the creature rather than the creator. That's what we do. We worship created things rather than the Creator. We give them first place in our lives. So that still applies to us. What we read about here applies to us. Well, everything's going as planned for Nebuchadnezzar uh, and his statue at the end of verse 7, but then it all goes wrong. And we read about in verse 8 that these Chaldeans come and they rat on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably because they're jealous Uh, they they were the wise men of Babylon. And remember from chapter 1, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also included in this class. They had been trained in the learning of the Chaldeans, and they were rising up the ladder. They were doing well. They had been put in charge of provinces in Babylon, we read about in chapter 2. And so here we find them not conforming to the ways of the Babylonians. They refuse to bow to the idol. They refuse to conform to the status quo, and this gets them into trouble. And it's true. what's true of them is also true of us as well. Faithfulness to the Lord will always eventually bring you into conflict with the world. People will ask, why don't you just go along with what everyone else is doing? Could you imagine some people standing around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they're all bowing down and they're looking up to these guys and going, wow, they're crazy. Why don't they just bow down? You know, it's not a big deal. Just bow down. Or if you take a stand for what's right and be obedient to the Lord over succumbing to the idols of of our culture, people might say, oh, well, you're just being extreme. You're taking it too far. Faithfulness to the Lord may not get you thrown into a physical fiery furnace in our day, but it will at least get you thrown into the fiery furnace of disapproval, unpopularity. At some point, there will be be a conflict between Christianity and the culture at large, and we're seeing that more and more in our day. Try to refuse to play sports on Sundays or allow your kids to play sports on Sunday uh, and tell them that it's because you want to honor the Lord's Day. Well, people might at least look at you funny. Uh, they might tell you that you're a religious nut. Refuse to go with your friends to the R-rated movie or uh, you know, refuse to take part in, uh, in some of the, the activities that are promoted and you will be berated. We see it in the news uh, this week. The Supreme Court of New Mexico upheld a lower court ruling that a commercial photographer may not decline a commission to photograph a commitment ceremony between two persons of the same sex. So, this wedding photographer was asked by a same sex couple to take photographs at their wedding, and they, the photographer refused. Not because, uh, not because these customers were of a certain sexual orientation, but because them taking pictures at this wedding would be them participating uh, in, in a ceremony that was contrary to their religious beliefs. Well, the Supreme Court of New Mexico said that makes you a bad citizen, and being a good citizen is more important than being faithful to God that's in our culture that's in our day and time it's just going to happen more and more Jean-Baptiste Massillon said religion would not have any enemies if it were not an enemy to their vices people don't like it when you are holy it makes them feel bad about themselves and they don't like that so there's this confrontation between the Chaldeans and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then we have this confrontation with Nebuchadnezzar in verse 13. He gets in a rage because this is an affront to his power and position. And he gives them another chance and asks, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's really angry. He's in a rage. And then he has the furnace heated seven times more. The world does not like it when someone stands for righteousness. If a person faithfully lives for Christ and refuses to bow to the idols our culture esteems, then there will be conflict. And we see it on the rise all around us. And all I'm saying is be ready for it because it is coming. It doesn't mean we ought to purposefully create it. Sometimes Christians are just obnoxious and they want to have conflict. Some people like that conflict and they create it. We need to pray for wisdom that we know where to draw the line, how to be faithful without being obnoxious. And there's some wisdom that that needs to happen there. Well, I'm going to stop there uh, because I've got two more points and and I knew it was going to do this. I knew uh, that uh, as I was doing this that I was giving birth to twins, as a pastor says. And so we'll look at the rest next week. But let me just conclude by saying uh, this problem that we have, this soul idolatry uh, that, that is constantly with us um, and you know, either puts us in cahoots with or a conflict with the world. It's a constant thing for us just like it was in this episode in Daniel 3. We need to be aware of that. We need to rest in God's grace. We'll learn more about that next week. Uh, but how do we stand? How do we live for Christ in our day and time? It takes wisdom. And the great thing about the scriptures, it tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. Having a relationship with him and listening to him will guide and direct us. It doesn't mean that we'll be following Jesus. doesn't mean that we'll be uh, saved from the fire and the flames. But it, will, it does mean that he will walk with us through the fire and the flames, just as we'll see at the end of this passage next week. Let's pray together.